Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 229 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Claude Fiddler. Claude spent much of his life deeply exploring and photographing the high Sierra of California after being inspired by the likes of Galen Rowell and Ansel Adams. Most of Claude's images were created using a large format film camera in extremely remote locations in the Sierra wilderness. On today's podcast, we covered a wide array of topics that I know you're going to enjoy. Over on Patreon this week, Claude and I talk about the need for us to have honest conversations about our carbon impact in the age of climate crisis. Just a warning, there is a very small bit of profanity in this episode. Before we dive in, I wanted to thank our newest patron, James Andrew. Thank you, James, for your support of the show over on Patreon, my friend. As a reminder, we try to release all of our episodes weeks in advance over on Patreon for people that are at the $10 a month or higher level, and we often give access to those for all of our patrons. We also do occasional group chats over on Zoom, which is a great way to connect with fellow patrons and me, the host. If you're not supporting the show yet, please hit pause and help us out. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get to the show. All right. Claude Fiddler, it's so great to finally have you on the podcast. Matt, I'm really glad to be here. Thank awesome. you for having me. Of course. I'm really appreciative of all the emails you've sent me over the last, I don't know, probably year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great to it's great to hear from someone who's kind of been around the block a few times in terms of landscape photography and their um, pers- perspective, and because uh, that means that it's probably fairly well-rounded. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am too. Uh, Yeah. Well, so before we dive into all those amazing topics that we've agreed to, I would love to hear you tell a little bit about yourself and talk a little bit about how you got into photography. Uh, Well, let's see. As I said, I'm, I I just turned 65. Uh, I live, uh, at, it sounds weird to say in Crowley Lake because I'm not in the lake. I live at I live at Crowley Lake, California, on the east side of the Sierra, um, uh, with my wife Nancy. And until uh, a decade ago, with our daughter Laurel. Um, and my start with photography was sort of the classic high school um, photography class, and you know the alchemy of the whole process really struck me and and then to see a, a, an image or a photograph emerge in a tray in in the dark room was just absolutely amazing um, but, but but what what captured and held my imagination when I was a teenager was rock climbing and um, and and I pursued that um, maybe to my detriment anyways I was a, a I was obsessed with that until I was uh, 28 years old, something like that, 1986. This last really hard climb I did. and uh, But along the, that way, and sorry, Matt, if this just gets so long, when it just cut me no, off. No, it's great. You know, I, it, in, in, uh, you know, in 1974, I went to a, a slideshow, a slideshow of, with, uh, of Galen Rowles. And, it was at a small private high school next to mine in the East Bay of the Bay Area, California. And there were nine people at the slideshow. And, and um, 
uh, Galen did his thing and, and, and I, you know, I went, uh, wow. So there's, there's, there's photography of climbing, of adventure. And, um, and I was, I was wowed by that. And, but that didn't spur me to go and pick up a camera. I, I, I was, I was just too obsessed with rock climbing in Yosemite. And, uh, but then in 1979, I was uh, going to Cal, going to UC Berkeley, and uh, I read an article in Mountain Gazette 27 by Doug Robinson. And in this article, Doug describes skiing the John Muir Trail, 200, whatever it is, 12 miles from Mount Whitney to Yosemite uh, with Peanut McCoy, uh, Dave McCoy's son. And they didn't take a map. They didn't take ropes. They didn't take a stove. I think the stove actually crapped out on them. And, uh, but, uh, but I, 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 I just went, wow, that is, there it is. That's, that's diving deep into a place and, and, and knowing it so intimately that, that you, you can go without maps or, or a stove and, and just be in this place. And so I had this article, this Mountain Gazette article, and, and I went, I went to a party um, uh, and, and there was a friend of mine, Jim Keating, who's actually a, 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 a pretty good skier, actually a little backstory. His dad was the uh, state Senator who introduced the bill to make Mount Tamalpais a state park. Anyway. So I said, we'd had a couple of beers and I said, Hey, look at this. And, and, uh, and so Jim looked at it and, and, you know, we, we, kind of got excited as you, you can after a couple of beers and being at a party. And, um, and then I, I got a phone call and remember phone calls back in that day were something really special. Just connecting with someone was not like it is today. It was like you had to call them or write a letter or write a postcard, which we did. And Jim said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do this thing. And all of a sudden I had the, 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 the flinch and the, and then the little bit of a, you know, the gut kick. And I went, Oh man, my, the, your bluff's getting called Claude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it wasn't, but it, you know, it wasn't a, because I was, I was, I had skied, but I was not really a skier. So I said, okay, let's do it. So the next weekend and for two weekends, three weekends, four weekends, whatever it was after that, we put food caches out. Oh wow! In yeah, and and it was in November. It, it we got our last one in, and it snowed. And um, what did I do? I think I, I may have gone back to school. But then at the end of the semester, I had to get in shape. I had to, <laughs> I I had to ski. So I I went and and I was you know lived in the back of my car and and Jim and I would hook up and we I thrashed around you know and and then we went out down went out on a shakedown uh, a ski tour and um, and and then and then it you know that it uh, March rolled around and um, we said it's time to go and we had dollar uh, fifty roped climbers uh, Jim sewed all his Gore-Tex um, gear uh, there that was that's what Gore-Tex was we we bought the first VE24 North Face VE24 
and an MSR stove that we split. And, and I took my dad's 35 millimeter camera and I said, I'm going to be the next Galen Rowell. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take pictures of this and I'm going to document this. And this is going to be, this is going to be, you know, this is it. I'm sending my career off. And, and had you done, other than the high school stuff, had you done any no. formal practicing no. with the camera? No, no. That, co- that cost money. That, you know, rem- you had to buy a roll of film and then develop it. And I wasn't doing black and white. I was going to use Kodachrome because I learned that Galen used Kodachrome and that Kodachrome 25. And I had a funky little tripod, actually, my dad's tripod also. And, um, and, and, and so off we went. And I forget what it was, 10 rolls of film or something like that for 220 miles. And we spent 33 days basically in the winter um, on the Muir Show. Got avalanched on and cl- avalanched in our tent in the night. I mean, oh my gosh. We, were, we, I mean, the snow just whammed the tent. And there was no, we were in Leconte Canyon, which is, you know, 5,000 foot walls, very steep. And we could not, we could not find a place that either one side of the canyon or the other was going to avalanche on us. And, and so, um, it, it, it was 33 days, 11 days of sto- being storm Brown and, um, um, and the trip changed my life. That was it. I was going to be a climber. I was going to be a mountaineer. I was not going to finish my degree at Berkeley. Uh, it, it, that was over. And, um, and, and then, that was every minute, every dollar I made, everything I thought about was about uh, uh, being in the Sierra. And then the pictures came back, and and I the moment of truth. <laughs> well, the moment the moment of tr- truth, as you can probably imagine, was hit or miss, and 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 some great hits and lots of misses. But it was this linear documentation of the trip, and mm-hmm. and. And I went through the mall, and Jim and I did some really fun slideshows in Bear Valley, California, which is where we were spending our winters, or, or I was spending my winters skiing, or ended up being there skiing. And I remember I, I went through all of those slides, and Jim's, because he took a camera too. And there was one photograph, one, one photograph out of all of those that distilled the whole trip for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's that's it. It's 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 not. It's not about trying to tell this story, which was fun. It was about this one photograph that distilled everything that that experience was about for me into one photograph. And so that, that became my um, photographic philosophy. Um, I always worked on a tripod. I never went willy-nilly running around taking hundreds of photographs. Um, someone asked me how many photographs I have of the Sierra. I have 311 from 1979 to the present. That was what I started to do. And it was, it was incredibly hard to, to try and find that without, um, you know, just at the start and, and for a very long time to, to, to go on backpack trips to, I did more walking around and looking than I ever photographed. I still do that to this day. Yeah. Actually, I just looked at my, you know, my Alaska pictures. So I've been, you know, from 2004 to the present, I have 97 photographs from 10 trips to Alaska. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, 
I, I call it the, I do not want to make a, a mountain of mistakes for a molehill of success. I want, I want the success to be there in that moment. I want to know I am nailing something special. There's no guessing. There's no, there, there's no, there's no, well, I'll try this. Now I'll do a vertical. Now I'll go over here, <laughs> which was funny because when I do a trip with Galen, you know, it was like, <laughs> 36 rolls of, you know, Galen would blast away with the motor drive going anyway. So, um, and then, so that led me to um, being a large format photographer and still, you know, just really working on composition and uh, composition. (laughs) And uh, that, that is, that is the key. The strongest way of seeing is with composition and, um, Anyway, so yeah, let's, let's go back to that uh, that one single photograph from the trip up to JMT. What was it about that image that that told the entire story versus the series of photographs that you took along the way on the trip? Uh, f- first of all, it was it was it was it was graphically uh, strong. The uh, the the composition was of a small figure Jim skiing in a very big landscape. The light was front lit, so there was some flaring problems in that technically. But um, it 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 was it it said something that it, it made it obvious that that there was a figure skiing in a large landscape. It was in the middle of the trip. It was in eight inches of perfect powder snow. So. You could, if you were a skier, you could tell that it was a very that that it was a special moment. But what the composition said was, this is a figure in the landscape. It's a figure in a very large landscape. It's a figure in a that in it, where where the extension of the idea is that there's there's nothing else, no one else um, around. Mm-hmm. You are you're you're it, this is this is someone in a in a really wild setting if you just looked at it you'd say wow that's that's a tiny figure that's someone in a really big setting and they look small because they are small in that yeah. big landscape right so, so so i'm curious based on what you learned from that experience and it sounds like subsequent experiences what are ways that other individuals can use our photographs to tell a story using single images versus a series of photographs? And what would you say is maybe the difference between the two? Uh, well, maybe I'll do the, sort of the, the, there, there is the, there is the, the slideshow, right. Or the, the video or the whatever that, that can tell a linear story. And that usually has to go along with words, the spoken word. And so you, but your question is, is, is how can someone take, um, Sing a person or just something, um, or a single image, or a single image. That's what you said, a single image, and make that evocative, um, or as evocative as several, multiple images, as multiple yeah. photographs. The element of light has to be has to be something that is special, and I don't mean that it can be. It means that your seeing or that the photographer's reaction or the photographer's recognition is a better word of light that is special that is key 
the next one has to be the recognition of the photographer that the composition that they are making is special. So that means that they have to know not only their craft, they have to know what's come before them, and they know how, have to know how to make the scene that they think is, is special because of the light, because of the composition in front of them, is all going to work and be not just something that's passe or someone will say, oh, that's pretty. Someone is going to be taken on an ever so, even if it's slight, journey into something that's powerful. Ansel oh. Adams, Oak Tree, in the, Oak Tree in the Winter, Joseph Holmes, Eastern Sierra from Lone Pine, um, Edward Weston, <laughs> all of Edward Weston. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, and that, my friend, does not come to everybody. That is right. not, that is not a skill. That is the heart of an artist coming through their chosen medium. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen for a lot of people. That is something really, um, yeah, that happens for a few. How do you know when it happens? How do I know when it happens? Yeah, how do you recognize it when it's special? Uh, well, first of all, when I first started, I looked at tons of other people's work and I recognized the feeling that I got when I looked at a photograph like, let's say, Moonrise over Hernandez or like I said, Joe Holmes or Steve Zielinski or Huntington Witherall or a Diane Arbus or Ansel Adams or a Brent Weston, I, you know, I could say, oh my goodness, those people see the world in a very special way that um, you don't have to be in the know. You don't have to be, uh, you know, someone special. It's like looking at a Van Gogh. You go, oh my God, that is the world seen in a completely different way. And so how do I know if I'm taking that photograph? It's because I've looked a lot. I've looked a lot and a lot and a lot. And I, and, and, and I will say my experience of seeing a couple of the uh, the Sierra, the Great Basin, a little bit of the Himalaya, not much, and then uh, the Brooks Range in Alaska. I've seen these um, different qualities of light, and 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 those 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 qualities. I've been able to recognize those <laughs> after a long time doing this as being something um, not. Difference, not the the word. Different for different sake is not is not something to strive for. Um, it is it, it it's it's um, yeah. Just having been in the mountain environment and seen so many different types of light, I know emotionally when that moment is happening. Where um, and it doesn't have to be a gory red sunset or you know. I know when there's something very particular happening and um, that takes a really long time. So it sounds like when you're out with your camera and you're, if you, if you don't get that feeling, then you potentially are not making an image. Do you find it difficult to, to resist, you know, not wanting to at least capture the moment? I mean, I know there's been many times where I recognize that, 
you know, the, maybe the composition of the light wasn't, you know, it wasn't ideal. It could have been a lot better, but I still wanted to capture the moment for other reasons. I'm just curious if if you do that as well, or if you just only capture images that are, you know, you know, it's out of the park over the moon. Uh, no, I, I, I will do that. And actually I've, I've done that a little bit more because of the new camera that I have. But um, in, in, in general, um, number one, I don't have my camera. I, I don't, I, I, I don't walk around with a camera. Um, I don't walk around with a tripod. I don't even walk around with it in the backpack. I just walk around and, um, and, and let, and let that, if, you know, if I don't, I don't want it to sound corny, but let that communication happen between myself and the landscape. No, I don't really do that. I, I wait, I wait for it to be out of the park because, because that is what I'm trying to do is make exceptional images like I said, that's why I have 96 pictures, 97 pictures from however many years in the Bricks range and 311 from the Sierra. So um, how do you, what's your, what's your approach to discovering those special moments if you're not equipped with your camera? Is it, I mean, it's, what you're describing to me almost sounds like scouting, but I'm curious how, how do you go from just walking around and experiencing to then knowing, okay, I do want to bring my tripod and I do want to have my camera. So what does that look like? Uh, what that looks like is, uh, is, is I'll, I'll walk around and, and if, and I'll be looking, obviously at, I'll be putting objects together and shapes together and, and different relationships together. And when I see one, that's good, really good. Then, um, then I, unlike other photographers, I wait for the light. And if the light doesn't happen on the composition, didn't work out. Roger, no, yeah. I, I like that. So that 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 is it. And and then uh, it, it's different in Alaska. Well, even Alaska, you know, I would say probably not probably, but the majority of my photographs are when we stop and we camp, and and I have a chance to walk around and and really look at at a place and and. Um, workout compositions then i'll then then i'll go back and get my camera right but no it, so no, no i don't sense. you talked a little bit about the process of engaging in in large format photography and i know that you know learning large format is certainly a much longer learning curve and the actual process of capturing a single image takes a lot more time commitment than just getting out your camera or shooting with the mirrorless uh, system. So I'm curious, do you believe that the the time commitment that's required to learn large format is an important process in making those meaningful photographs that you've described? Um, it, it, it was, for, it was for me because it was, um, it was difficult. There weren't, the internet did not exist. There uh, workshops. There was the Ansel Adams workshop, but that was twenty two hundred fifty dollars. Bill Neal can tell me if that's right. Two hundred fifty dollars for five days, and I couldn't afford it. And um, and then you had to um, ask photographers how, how how to make this thing work, which in the <laughs> end became kind of a funny a, a funny deal because if if you handed me a large format camera now and and you were here, Matt, I could show you in. 10 minutes, how to nail every four by five photograph you ever took. 
it, I mean, I just had it distilled down to what I called the two minute drill. Yeah. It was easy, but that process was, was, was a long one over many years. There weren't many books that were Ansel Adams books, you, you know, the negative, the print, the, the camera, the negative, the print. Um, and, and even those, because he used, you know, you may not have an Arca Swiss, you know, um, um, five by seven, or you, you may not have a, uh, an eight by 10. And, and so, and those, those few cameras worked in different ways. They wouldn't, you know, they might have base tilt at the rear, or they may have uh, um, center tilt at the lens. And so that the, the, those things, those, those, uh, those details were technical details that I had to um, figure out. You know, I don't like to pat myself on the back and say I was really committed. I, I think it, I'd rather, you know, it was probably more just being compulsive obsessive. Yeah, I, I think it was more of the process of finally getting to the point where I could do the two-minute drill with the four by five, and then there, what meshed was the my skill level with what my what I my image management and what I wanted to make as far as an image was concerned in the field, mm-hmm. and so those those things all coming together were. Um, uh, a very special moment because that, uh, or, you know, I could, I could go to a scene that I went, huh, this is going to be really good. And I didn't have to worry if I was going to be able to pull it off. I, I, you know, it was like, I could pull it off. I, and I, and that's, that's not to brag. I mean, because if I was a, you know, an overnight success, I could have said, yeah, I started taking great images. You know, I picked up the four by five and it was like, I instantly knew what to do. It's like now we're all learning disabled, and I was certainly learning disabled, you know, when it came to the four by five. But I I worked my way through that. Right. Yeah, I'm curious. It's interesting because I I learned on digital, and you know, having that instant gratification of oh nope, that's a pretty bad photograph. That was really helpful in terms of my learning curve. But it also forced me to try a whole bunch of different stuff that if I were to use probably a large format camera, I probably never would have tried. Um, And so I'm wondering what you feel like the pros and cons are in terms of developing your creative vision are in regards to um, learning on a large format camera versus uh, digital. Uh, Well, you you just... you just sort of identified it, you know, that, 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 you, you know, for you, um, what did you find out from that? What did you find out from that process of experimentation? Um, if I use various shutter speeds, what that looks like, if I, if I use a long, long, really long exposure and then use like external lights and move around, I can create an interesting effect. You know, you learn very quickly, um, external flash and how to position that. And I just feel like in a lot of ways it's instant feedback, which is helpful, but also it kind of opens the door to experiment more readily. Where, where, where has that led you creatively? What has that done for you creatively? I mean, when I'm in the field now and I approach a scene, um, I feel like I have all kinds of different ideas that I can incorporate or try to do in order to achieve 
an end result that I have in my mind uh, based on the scene that I find myself in front of. Is, is, is the scene in your head consistent? No, it's constantly changing based on my reaction to that place. But 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 I guess I guess what I'm saying your your so your reaction changes with 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 the different places, right? And having done tons of experimentation on different subjects and you know different lenses and different apertures and shutter speeds and filters and blah 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 blah, I have all of these you know all, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've ha- I've failed a lot and that failure has informed me to to be better equipped to be successful when I have an idea or when I find something that I find interesting that I want to, I'm like, ah, I I see something in this scene that this technique I tried two years ago, I think would work pretty well here or something like that. So I'm just curious, you know, having the limitation of a film camera doesn't, well, I wouldn't know. That's why kind of what I'm asking is, do you feel that that limitation hinders you creatively Oh, or does it enhance your creativity in other ways? I, I think I think what you've done is you've eliminated stuff that you don't want want to get in the way. Potentially, oh, yeah, failure. <laughs> well, that's I'm 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 switching out failure with 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 something maybe a little more positive. Well, I but, I, I don't think failure is a bad thing. No, um, I don't I don't I don't either. But I I'm just saying you've also also in that process you've eliminated stuff. You said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine, but I'm not going to I I'm not going to keep carrying that around in the bag." Right. And like I don't bring a 10-stop neutral density filter with me everywhere I go. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, the limitation of uh, of 4x5 what that what that did, right? Okay, so there was the cost, click, $5, click, $5. You know, every time you hit the shutter, you you, you were spending a, a, a lot of money and forced me to do. Is that it? Or, or what I ended up doing was um, I, I ended up looking at a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I ended up looking at a lot of Steve Zielinski's work and, and uh, Joe Holmes and John Warzenek and Ansel Adams and Edward Weston and um and richard misrock and joel meyerwitz um their 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 seminal works and um and 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 so there was this uh, modicum of um um in the classroom so to speak um uh, work that i did and you know i would like look at richard misrock's desert contos you know over and over and over again for hours you know, digesting the light and how far away from his subject he was and, and what types of subject and why I was attracted to one image and then the other. And, and so um, um, that, uh, I guess what I'm describing is no gratification, you know, from, from the, and then, and then, the, you know, the other part of this was in the beginning, I was shooting negatives. So I had to go and make a contact sheet you know, to see what it was I might have or not have. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess I have to say, you know, my list of, I looked at my list of photographers that, you know, really influenced me or, um, and, and they're, they're all, they all just go from, you know, Edward Weston to 
Huntington Witherall to William Eggleston um, to Edward Bertinsky to Chris Burkett, Robert Glenn Ketchum, Elliot Porter. I mean, these are all, you know, large format photographers, but from a, a, an age gone by. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and they, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think a lot of my education or, or, or the way I came about using the camera, um, you, you know, had nothing to do with using the camera. It had to do with looking at art. Mm-hmm. I had the I had the privilege of going to the Louvre and spending four days at the Louvre, you know, and or, you know, or going to a Van Gogh um, or a Monet um, exhibit, and um, and just look, or you know, Brancusi, and and just looking at those artworks and how did those and and what those how those made me feel and and um, and, and and none of that had anything to do with the camera. It had had everything to do with looking at art. You know, I asked this question of a lot of my guests, but I'm, I'm particularly interested in hearing your answer based on what you just said. And I, it's, it's a simple one on the surface, but I think it can go on several different levels. And it's, it's quite simply, it's, you know, what motivates you to make photographs? Why, why do you do it? Um, and if, if it's helpful, I can talk a little bit about my own answer. If you want to think about it. Yes. Let's hear your answer. Yep. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because, um, you know, earlier we were talking about experimentation and failure and learning. And I loved your questions about my approach in the field and why, you know, how that connected to my learning process. And as you, as I was answering that and then hearing you talk a little bit, it it made me think that, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, photography is is not the actual end result, you know, the final image. It's actual, it's the actual engagement um, in approaching a subject, trying to figure it out, experimenting to see if I can maybe make something of it, um, you know, attach a little bit of my own personality or what I'm feeling or or who I am to the image or what I'm creating, um, and, and and with no expectations, you know, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't, but I find that entire process to be really fun. So a lot of it for me is just fun in in engaging in that process and, and seeing what comes out the other end of it. Um, and then, you know, probably like your images from the JMT, you know, 70% of those are meh, probably nothing very good. But, you know, every once in a while you get a nice hit out of it and it's pretty cool to see. And I'm always surprised when I come home, like, which ones I really like and which ones I thought I was going to really like that are like, eh, it's not that good. So that's partial. Part of my answer is just, I have, I think it's just fun to try um, and to see where you, what you can do with it and to grow as a photographer and as an artist. As I was hearing you talk, it made me really wonder kind of what your answer to that question is. You know what, Matt, it, it, it's just listening to you, the tone of your voice, you sound like you have a lot of fun. Yeah, with, with with it, and and oh my gosh, the, you, you know, there are there are there are so many different levels and ways to experience something like photography or rock climbing or mountaineering or skiing or um, writing or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that. Um, 
you, you know, and, uh, <laughs> one of the things with with age that that for me, to, it, I just say, you know what? If 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 they're happy, that's all that matters. I, I mean, you know that that that's just uh, that is such a gift, you know, because <laughs> in this world there will be there there will be hardships, there will be struggle. Hmm. And so, uh, I mean, t- to have something that just gives you uh, joy and then afterwards, you, you know, uh, uh, joy again, that's that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good. I mean, uh, good for you. I'm, I'm glad that it, it, it's it's a little bit that's a little bit of like rock climbing for me. No, nah, I don't I don't need to have a big, humongous, you know, hardcore goal in mind anymore i've done enough of it i know what the outcome is going to be so i don't have to struggle with um my ego <laughs> but uh, photography on on uh, on the other hand is, and and why i do it is because i am trying to create an exceptional piece of art hmm. i'm 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 and and this is not a, i am i'm I still have that same wow reaction, but I'm really serious. I mean, when I put that camera on the tripod, it is it's game time. Deadly, <laughs> it's 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 deadly serious, man. This is this is I am engaged, and I I, I am and, and and I am seeing the final print. And it's like, as my friend John Warsnick said. Don't blow it, fucker. And, and and that's what he said about Dreamed Brook, which he he sold 132 um, 3240 uh, die transfer prints. So, uh, and they weren't cheap. Um, yeah. So so I, I I I you know I am still having that wow those butterflies those everything, but it's like uh, it, it, it it's like the five twelve crux. You know, and you're you're 20 feet out, and yeah, and don't for, blow. for the non-rock climbers, that's a really hard route. The <laughs> five twelve. <laughs> yeah, don't don't blow it. Yeah, you'll you'll anyway. probably get hurt. Yeah, well, you may you may not. I mean, you know, it's usually five twelve is pretty steep, and there's usually pretty good pro. But anyways, you know, I right. and, and that may be not a great analogy, but uh, uh, but it it you know I spent so many years of my life and, and, and I'm spending so much time to have gotten where I've gotten to. And, and, and I know those moments don't, you know, uh, there's not going to be a ton of them left in my lifetime and there's not a ton of them left in anybody's life. So. Yeah. The um, true, the truly amazing moments. I mean, I, I think my own photography and, you know, it's maybe, four total moments ever that were like that, you know, just the pinnacle of like, like that will never, ever, ever be replicated. That kind of situation, you know? Right. Bingo. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm right there with you. When those moments happened, I was like, don't, don't blow this, you know? Um, because it's, it's that special. Uh, here's, here's a question for you. Come up with, um, come up with three, Come up with four. Come up with five. Try and come up with six Ansel Adams photographs. Oh, that I name, of of his that I know name, of. Name them. Oh man, I might not be the right person to ask. Monolith, uh, Moonrise over Hernandez, 
God, you hit me on the spot here. I like I don't study Ansel that much. Uh, let's see what else. You should. I know, I know. I read, I read his his biography, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I will I I will tell you why after you try and answer this. <laughs> well, no, go go ahead and tell me. Go ahead, just go Here's ahead, why. jump into it. Here's why. Because look at the tension and the movement of the geometries in his photographs that he creates. Okay, and 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 pick anyone. Pick Mount Williamson. Uh, Denali from Wonder Lake, uh, uh, Monolith, uh, and and uh, what, 1927 with a Raton, I think, 10 yellow filter, uh, number 10 of the glass plates that he carried with um, Virginia Best at the time and, right, uh, Char- right. and Charles Michael going up the Grizzly Point Trail and then directly up to the diving board. Right. Anyway, so... I'm sure that uh, took a little bit of work. <laughs> Uh, it's a very direct route, and and Charles Michael was actually a very interesting character. But regardless, uh, so and and then and then look at look at for instance when the next time you look at his Denali from Wonder Lake, look at the middle tones and what he's done with the middle tones of that photograph. Everybody sees you know Denali the big white and Wonder Lake you know shimmering around the darker you know uh, foreground around the lake, but look at and and really study what he's done in terms of the tension of geometries. He does not go front to back, left to right, um, you know, this in the foreground, that in the background. Uh-uh. That, that, that. And, and, and if you want to take it back further, go and look at Van Gogh and look at what he does. And, and, or Cezanne, those, those tensions, those geometries are, are incredible. And to develop that way of seeing May or may not get it. Not you, but one. Sure. No, I'm may, sure I never will. <laughs> may, may, it, it's 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 a but but um, yeah yeah the, that's 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 the real deal. So it's not. If, correct me if I'm wrong because I might over speak, but it sounds to me like your whole pursuit of landscape photography is is in pursuit of or or chasing after kind of those incredibly powerful moments that are fleeting and rare combined with all of the right elements in the frame and having everything come together to produce um, something incredibly unique and special that perhaps only you have created. Yes. But prior to that, before that, I want to see the place. Yeah. I want to be in the place. I I want to be, I want to be, I want, I want the bricks range or the Sierra to just, rule me yeah. you you, yeah. you are you are you are you ain't significant claude no matter how much you might think you are you ain't this is significant this is this is it's hard to deny a granite mountain right oh, it's yeah. hard to den- deny a vast landscape it's 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 hard to deny man i'm in the freaking wilderness and i and it's 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 way stronger than i am that's I like that queasy feeling in my gut that that I'm in something way bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. That's that that's that, that before photography is what I'm into. Wouldn't you say that that time and relationship you spent with place uh, is almost a necessity if you're going to create the type of images that you've been describing? Yes. It, it, it is, you know, I, I, I only have a, a handful 
of photographs left that I really want to make in the Sierra. And so going to someplace like the, the Brooks Range just is uh, opens up a, a whole new um, environment. And, and I, um, uh, especially the Brooks Range, I, uh, you know, John Muir called the Sierra the Range of Light. And in my, in my mind, the Brooks Range is the Range of Light. Um, um, I, I have other mountain landscapes that I want to, uh, one mountain landscape that I'll get to, you know, while I'm, you know, I'm, like I said, I just turned 65. So, um, um, I, I have another kind of major trip journey expedition I want to make, um, to experience something completely different, uh, from the Brooks or the Sierra. Which and, is what? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to the Himalaya. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. And I, I've been, I, I, you know, 1983, I was on the West Ridge of Mount Everest and, and, uh, and then in Ladakh with my daughter and what Nancy and Laurel um, uh, and Andy Selters a few years ago. But um, I, I, you know, I haven't given the Himalaya a real chance, you know, um, so I want to do oh, that. You talk about feeling insignificant. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. There's nothing like, you know, 10,000 feet of relief to just, you know. Yeah, I'm nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I only need like 2,000 feet. And I feel that way. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that works for me too. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think we've touched on this a little bit, but I think I think it, it'll be an important part of our conversation. Um, you know, you, you talked a lot earlier about experience and 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 you know like we were just talking about that 2000 and 10000 feet of relief and what that does to your psyche and your emotional experience and what it is like to be in a place but i'm you know personally i kind of feel like the word experience you know experience in quotes kind of gets a bad rap in landscape photography today you know you hear a lot of people talk about they almost talk about experience as like a you're a documentary photographer you know you're Mm -hmm. um like the re the real photographers are artists and they're creating things out of nothing and mm -hmm. people that simply or merely document their experience in a place that somehow is lesser i feel like mm -hmm. at least that's just what i kind of gather from what i read other people say online maybe it's just mm -hmm. who i hear but i'm just curious from your perspective, can you tell us about your approach uh, to photography as it relates to photographing experience and how do you believe that that is still trans translating and or transcending into great art? Um, um, okay, I'll start that with a question. Have you tried to be quote unquote artistic at any time in your photographic uh, career? Uh, being that that's a yes or no question, I will answer it simply with a yes, that I have actively engaged in the conscious process of trying to be artistic. Has that worked? Um, I guess yeah, you have to ask other people um, what they think. I think I have some instances of of that in my own work where I know that was an intentional approach and it was successful, perhaps not as successful as other work that where I just reacted to an experience. However, I think this is more to your point. 
a lot of the work that I quote unquote created that was intentionally trying to be artistic did not work. Were you, were you working um, on, did you go out into the field with a uh, concept or did the concept or idea come to you in the field? I've done both. I mean, I guess the cleanest example of this that I can use um, where I reacted and then, and then had to be preconceptual with the final result, which then required me to think about technique, but also creating and being original is probably any time that I've engaged in star trails. I don't do star trails a ton, and I know it's kind of cliche and a trope, but I was a pretty early adopter of that, you know, in the early 2010s. Um, and I'd say most of my more recent star trail images, they're pretty interesting and different and unique. So yes, I've done it that way before. Have you found that that is who you are as a person? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's such an interesting question because, like, first of all, how many of us truly know who we are as people? I mean, I know I'm a fairly self-aware person, so I think on a conscious level, I certainly know that when I create work like that, it's a direct reflection of my desire to express to the viewer my connection with the night sky and how that makes me feel smaller as a human being but also in in awe of you know being this tiny person on this tiny insignificant planet in this tiny solar system so i I like night photography for what it does from that perspective and then the types of landscapes that i typically pair those with are usually landscapes that i'm incredibly interested in from a um, just the way they make me feel like i'm very excited about those places or um, I have a connection to them on some level. So um, I think on a, on a basic level, the answer is yes. Although I think subconsciously there might be more going on or maybe perhaps less going on. I don't know. Uh, do, you, do you find those images that you're making distinctive or are they actually unique, one of a kind? Great question. How would you describe the difference? Distinctive means distinctive means that that it, it, it may be recognizable in a genre. Unique is it's one in one in the one in the world. Yeah, I would say ninety nine percent of my work is probably in the distinctive category. Sure. Um, and, and once again, I, you know, your 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 enthusiasm just 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 comes you know screaming out at me, and and that's and I, and I get the sense that. Not the sense. Your reaction is is just so strong to being there that there is an element of personal satisfaction that overrides anything what the internet or someone else might say about the work. Um, oh, absolutely! It's it's, yeah. it's it's yeah. It's the good thing for your soul. That's wonderful, Matt. Well, I wanted to pause for a moment to tell listeners about a unique and exclusive offer available only to you. I am offering one-on-one customized outdoor photography experiences in Colorado, Utah, or New Mexico, where I help you discover and reconnect with nature through the lens. Before you book, we will spend time together really getting to know what it is that you are looking for in your experience so that it is tailored perfectly to your needs. 
head over to my website at mattpainphotography.com and click on the workshops link to learn more and to get started. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Claude. And as a warning, we're gonna start talking about post-processing. Uh-oh. Uh, right, oh, you're just photographing an experience. Hmm, okay, what does that mean? What's photographing an experience mean? Well, I mean, I think it's somewhat relevant. Well, so, no, so, okay, so some context might be important. Is that right? adventure photography or what is that? So I listened to another podcast just yesterday, uh, David Johnston's podcast, and he was interviewing a photographer um, who has a really big following on social media. And she had made a comment that early on in her photography, she was more engaging in the documenting and photographing her experience and that it slowly unconsciously shifted towards more creating artwork from her photographic images in the field. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on, I mean, me personally, I think those can be the same thing. Uh, I don't necessarily find them to be uh, mutually exclusive. But I think there's a huge perception in the modern day landscape photographer that the act of documenting an experience with your camera is not taking it far enough in terms of it standing out in on the level of art, quote unquote. Okay. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say a lot of your work from the High Sierra is um, like a non-photographic literate bystander would look at that and say... That must have been an amazing experience. Um, well, they could, but they could also, if you said, would you call that an amazing experience or would you call that an amazing photograph or would you call that an amazing piece of art? Sure. And I think, and, and I think, and I think someone, someone that would, if they're, uh, you know, even a third of the way there, they would go, hmm, that's interesting. I guess I could answer it all three ways. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, um, um, I, you know, there, there, there is a, a parallel track there, right? I mean, you, you know, of course that photograph is part of the experience that you had in that space, that place. So, so you can't really separate the two, separate the two. And I, I really, you know, just, I, 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 I don't understand the statement by this person that they stopped photographing their experience because, um, you know, is it, is it something, is it, I guess, I guess what they, they may be saying is that there's nothing in their photographs now that's subject oriented. So in other words, someone can't say, Oh, uh, there's a, a pretty picture of maroon bells. Wow. Uh, that's a neat mountain experience it would be a, an abstraction that had um, nothing identifiable as being subject oriented. And, and there are, there are some photographers who can completely divest themselves of um, subject orientation. And you just look at the artistic ability of their scene. Huntington Witherall is one. Steve Selinsky is one. Joel Meyerowitz is one. Richard Misrock is not. You look at Richards and you go, wow, 
that is an experience of being in a place that hasn't been man-mauled in the desert. So you are, you, you know, that the parallel track is there. And with my photographs, with your photographs, with or with Joe Holmes or or John Worsick's another another one who you would go, um, why well, don't know where the heck this guy is? That's just an incredible piece of art. William Eggleston, you know, that, that he he crosses over right. There's the, there's the experience of a streetscape or people or whatever it might be or or Edward Bertin. Kitsky, you know, they, 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 there, there are, there are times when that happens, and there are times when it does not. I mean, if you looked at one of my pictures from the Brooks Range, you'd go, "Where is that?" You know. So okay, so now, now that track has been, let's call it, you know, put to the side, and now you're just looking at, at, okay, how did this guy? What did this guy see? And, 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 you know, I, I mean, I have lots of, I have lots, lots, yeah, many photographs from the Brooks range where you just go, I, I have, I have no idea what this guy was experiencing, but then there are other photographs where you'd go, Oh God, where is that mountain landscape? He was in, a, he was in a mountain landscape. Right. So I don't under, I don't understand. I don't understand someone saying I don't take experience anymore. That to me, sorry, this is a little evil, but that to me is something that I would have done 45 years ago. Well, and I, I might have mis, misportrayed what they actually said. You know, I'd go into the Sierra and go, okay, you're not going to be able to tell this is the Sierra. This is going to be water and grasses moving, and it's going to be, and, you know, maybe with some tree trunks that aren't tree trunks, they're just shapes in the back. And I'm going to create something that has nothing that that is basically, um, um, quote unquote, artistically driven, but has nothing to do with. Well, that's absolutely fine if you do that. You know, I mean, I think. That's oh, sure. Great. I mean, I think- but but there. But but what I'm saying is, if you have a, you know, if you have if you've looked at a lot of work and have a background in that in that, and, and you want it to be exceptional, it's going to take a while unless you're an overnight wonder to get good at that. And I think what I'm seeing a lot nowadays is, and I'm not putting a value statement on this, but a lot of kind of up and coming individuals, you know, there's a pretty easy way to shortcut that process nowadays, you know, using digital manipulation, Photoshop and compositing. And, you know, and I think oftentimes when I hear individuals say things like, I don't document an experience, I'm creating art. And you look at their work and you have an understanding of what is capable in Photoshop and what that particular scene normally would look like and that it typically doesn't look like that. (laughs) Um, When I say that, I mean, you know, the mountain has been stretched or clouds have been added or flowers from other places have been carefully planted in the foreground and perhaps light has been painted in to the image to make it appear as if there was an exceptionally grand, grandiose experience occurring in terms of dynamic light that was just like once in a lifetime in that place. And you've been to that place and you know that the sun actually never hits that particular 
part of that um, subject in that way. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like, that's what a lot of people are saying is artistic creation. And a lot of the work I see you doing is more kind of traditional in terms of, you know, I'm setting up my large format camera. I've spent the time to carefully compose my scene so that there is a juxtaposition of uh, objects and shapes and that there's tension as you were describing earlier. And I'm only going to press the shutter if the light is of exceptional quality that I have come to expect in only my best work. And if it's not, I'm not going to push the button. I think that's, those are two very diametrically opposed approaches to creating. And I'm just curious if you think that your approach uh, being more rooted in realism and natural occurrence is A, more difficult, and B, uh, more rewarding, in your opinion, to create in the long term? I think I think what I not I think what I am what I am doing is I I am looking to be amazed by the literal. What is there is amazing. If I and and it's my goal to it's my goal to make it amazing in a photograph. What you're talking about is someone doing something completely different. And 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 it, it, it's 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 um, I have seen some work actually from like Huntington Witherall that is um, compositeds orchestrating icons. His botanicals are absolutely mind-boggling in his creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, huh. well, we'll go back to Edward Weston: a picture of a toilet bowl, a picture of the cat in the living room. A picture of of uh, of a very simple nude, a picture of a pepper, a picture of a seashell. Now, folks, I got to tell you, Edward Weston, one hundred years before you were born, was doing it, and he was doing it with something right in front of him—a piece of pepper. That's all he did, and I defy anybody in this audience to go and look at whichever pepper thirty, twenty-nine, twenty-eight, and go. Oh my God, I could do that. Try it. Try it. Try and take a pepper and do what Edward Weston did in whatever it was, 1922. Good luck. You aren't going to be able to. I guarantee you, I've done it. I spent eight hours trying to make a, a pepper, try and look. Actually, it, was, it looked like an Edward Weston. It was a complete and utter failure on my part. But man, did I work on it. A friend of mine called me during the process and he goes, What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just trying to photograph something in the living room. He goes, oh, peppers? I said, yep. And, he said, and it was, I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even click the, sh- I think I did click the shutter. Maybe I did. Anyway, or do a, a nude. Do a really good nude. A really good one. Edward Weston did them. I mean, but go ahead. Try and do it. Uh-uh. It, it, it's, 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 and, and Edward Weston had an 11 by 14 camera, 8 by 10 camera. Right, and he carries this out to Oceana Dunes, or just in his living room, and in his living room, in his living room. I don't know what peppers, whatever it is, twenty-eight probably sells for now. Multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Good luck. You can't. Yeah, good luck. If you if you can pull off peppers, man, I'm going to buy your first print. 
uh, not you, but one. Yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so that, that is one of the problems, you know, with, with, with not being historically literate or, or know what came before you, uh, you know, who came before you and what they did or other genres or other art forms. Uh, it, 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 and that's all I did for 20 years in my photography. I just, it, 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 so this whole thing with, you know, compositing and, and, and et cetera. And I, I'm not, I'm not photographing the experience. Okay. We'll take that out of the equation. And now you're just creating your, your, you're, you're making a piece of art. Okay, fine. Um, um, is it as conceptually as evocative as Bisquake? Okay, the, the street artist, right? Good luck doing that one. Go ahead. The guy basically did line drawings and, you know, pictures of faces and, 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 and plastered those all over uh, and, and try and do that. I want to see that. I want to say that I want to see that. Okay, this guy had very little skill as a draftsman. Maybe he was an incredible draftsman. I don't know. Uh, but but pull that one off. I don't think so. You're not going to reach that because that's what they are. That's what those those persons are trying to tell you they are doing. I, I mean, I, I should I shouldn't. That's in my mind what I think they're they're saying. We are being conceptual. You're not. You're just being the dumb represent, representative of what's in front of your camera. Um, okay, I, I take that. I know what I am. As I know who I am as an artist, and that is what I do. But Steve Selinsky is another one. Go and look through Steve Selinsky's portfolio, and I've printed with Steve since 1983 in his darkroom, and I watched the work come out. You know, and it's like okay. There's a picture of a weed against a stucco wall. I want to see you do it as good as he did it. I want you. I want you. I want you to come up with something that is so graphically strong and so visionary as that simple image that he just took and and that and and, and do that with whatever method it may be. I don't care. You know, Brancusi, right? The come up with it. I mean, really good art. Is really good art. So if if if, if there's an issue of experience, really tell Robert Glenketchen he was an idiot to go and camp at Tongass and take those pictures in southeastern Alaska for three months in the rain. You know, gee, dude, you were just photographing your experience. Well, duplicate that. Duplicate. Duplicate that. Let me let let me read one passage. This is in in my in my book. Is this your um, your inside new book, the, the Inside the High High Sierra? Yeah, yeah, and 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 this is this is from photographers. No, okay. Here's a guy who's in our genre, like us. I'll tell you who it is at the end. Sometimes a place that we've seen compels us to find one of its great moments. One of the few times when conditions are just right for a masterful rendering of the scene to work. Grand views sometimes hold the power to constitute the most essential ingredient of an iconic image. But for all the pieces of a great photograph to come together requires that a great many things each work out particularly well. The lighting itself, a complex collection of features derived from the atmospheric conditions, the time of day and the time of year is chief among them. The viewpoint and composition come next. But the many other aspects of photography, which are more in, in, intimately dependent on what the technologies of the medium itself can provide, are just as vital. In color, 
These technologies and methods are very complex and have blossomed tremendously since I started this work, especially so over the last two plus decades, when chemicals have given way to numbers as the central mechanism of photographic realization. My recent picture, Sunrise Over the Grand Sierra, Inyo County, California, is the, is the result of visiting the base of the tallest portion of the east side of the Sierra Nevada many times, starting in 1977. In the more recent trips, I was increasingly deliberate about the planning as I zeroed in on a concept that was substantially predefined. With most photography of landscapes, the scene changes so much and so rapidly that planning ahead in a specific sense simply doesn't work. But sometimes we can come close to a planned outcome, and this was one such case. How many years does it take to make a photograph that matters? Is often many more than you might guess. Joseph Holmes. So to denigrate <laughs> something like that, I, I, I just... I, I don't I don't get it, you know? I, I, I just don't get it. Do you think um, that that kind of perception of denigration is kind of what lies at the heart of uh, this debate and why it gets so vitriolic at times between more traditional image makers and kind of more kind of people that are avant-garde and more just creating you know, creating comp composites from, from nothing or whatever. I, I feel like, you know, the fact that those are being created and then passed off as, as real, quote unquote, real or something that was actually experienceable. I think oftentimes those people who have spent decades trying to master a scene and capture it in the most magical way, then feel like that was, it's like an assault on that entire pursuit is there something to that do you think i i i know how you how you feel about that matt i mean having listened to your <laughs> podcast and 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 you know the contest excuse me that you're working on um i think i think that 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 um uh stretching and filtering and 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 all that other stuff that goes on um um for for me does does nothing for me. I recognize it right away. I, I mean, I can see sure. you know this this. It's like no, I, you know, I, I've been there to that spot, <laughs> and it, no, it, or even just not looking at it, or the way light hits, or what the way the shadows, or the way reflections aren't lined up, blah blah blah. blah. And and so if and and so the vitriol. I, 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 I'm not engaged in it. You know, I, I do what I do and that's that. But here's the deal. If, if, if someone showed me work in that, uh, uh, in the, in the way that that was created, that was mind blowingly good. I go, uh, I'm a believer. I haven't seen that yet. Really? I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it. I mean, I've looked and all it takes is like, you know, 30, se 30 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds. I just go, oh, okay. Wow. Blurred that, scraped those together, made that fantasy land, uh, uh, you, you know, oversaturated, not, you know, that, 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 that's not a, uh, that doesn't make me feel uh, that, like it's a literal rendering. So you're kind of in between and, and you, you haven't succeeded at either, or you've gone, you know, you know, the same, the, the, that, that, 
you know, looking up at that colorful maple tree or, you know, uh, the arch uh, by the entrance to Canyonlands or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, it's like, or the Matterhorn. <laughs> I saw one, the Matterhorn stretched in the sun, you know, it was like, wow. If there's any mountain uh, in the world that doesn't need stretching, it's the Matterhorn. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, you know, but it was just obvious. And I just went, that, that's, that you, you, you haven't, Again, it's I just go back to those artists that 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 have come before you, Brett Weston. You know, do 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 one of Brett Weston's, you know, palm fronds or 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 uh, um, his sand dunes or his you know Mono Lake or you know whatever. I I mean those are those are visionary and and look um, um, look like. Look like incredible scene. Look like look like an incredible place. Look like, wow, that guy composited everything in there. No, he stood there with his eight by ten camera and went click. So, it, 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 if you can pull it off, but I haven't seen it yet. Gotcha. You know, Van Gogh. Van Gogh had it had free, free, total and absolute freedom. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a Van Gogh yet. I haven't seen a Cezanne. I haven't seen a Paul Gauguin. I haven't seen it. You got that, you know, that, that, that's the perspective, the historical literacy. You, you look at folks, you're not up against the next person on Instagram. There's who you're really up against. That's the real deal. There's the real deal. Monet, right? You're up against Monet. You please, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, it depends on what people are motivated by. Right. I think, I don't. Well, you you said there's a denigration going on, right? Well, Between, I was asking uh, if you thought there that. Oh, I don't well, know if there. It sounds like there is. Well, I think what I was asking was, I mean, I I know for sure there's lots of photographers that feel like there's a denigration that's occurring, mm. and I was just curious if, mm. if that was a potential explanation for that. But mm. I think oftentimes. I can only speak for the people I've spoken to, but it's not usually, they're not pursuing that pinnacle of kind of fine art. I think it's, they're more about creativity and expression and, and like, I don't want any limitations and I don't necessarily think that their end goal is to, you know, make it in the, in the Louvre. <laughs> but, but, but are they, but are they passing it off as something it isn't? Oh, of course. Mm. Well, most, well, I should say some people do and some people don't. I would say okay. in the last two or three years, we've seen a shift um, in the community to be more honest about mm. what it is they are doing. But anyway, we, I mean, we could beat this dead horse until yeah, yeah, yeah. it comes back yeah, we, to life and then gets resurrected. Yeah, and Yeah, we could powder it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to, you know, you keep bringing up all these big names um, mm-hmm. and – you've definitely made it clear that those are your inspirations for your own work. Mm -hmm. I'm curious in light of your uh, studying that work and, and appreciating that work and being such a knowledgeable individual about all of that work, how do you then approach making work that is unique to you and personally expressive and says, Oh, that that's a, that's a Claude Fiddler. Like how do you how do you do that having studied all of the greats? Uh, I 
I, I, I deeply explore places. So, so, um, um, you know, Ansel Adams deeply explored, and I'm not equating myself with Ansel Adams, um, but he deeply explored Yosemite. And um, so that is what uh, charges my battery is to deeply explore a place. And so uh, um, that's happened in the Sierra um, to a decent, pretty decent degree in the Brooks range. And um, then, like I said, I'll, I'll do that in the Himalaya. Um, so I get to places that people don't. And that was never, um, oh, I'm going to make a name for myself by that's just what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And, um, and I happened to take a four by five camera with me. And, um, and, and so, so, um, as, as I said in the book, you know, I said, you know, it's, it's just really straightforward, stand in front of the scene and take a picture. Now that doesn't mean I'm not (laughs) super deliberate and that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not really careful about where the camera goes and it, I'm not really, um, cognizant of everything that's going on. Um, and, and I ask myself, I don't have to do that. It's, it's very intuitive at this time because of a lot of experience, but there's, you know, there's all the technical questions, blah, blah, blah. What's the wind blowing? What do I need to do to pull this depth of field? Uh, you know, um, you know, I don't have to answer the question, is this um, trite or camp or, you know, has this been done before because I'm usually standing in a place that people haven't been at with, you know, the tripod and the big and a large format camera, um, which by the way, everybody, I do not use a large format camera anymore. Um, I do use a medium format camera. Um, so, um, and, and I, hmm, I, I haven't, I, I, I can say that I'm not, I, 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 I am not the type of person going out there and, 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 trying for that that quote-unquote artistic expression although i will i i because it it, again not again but it better be damn good and i have looked at a lot of work that is um really good um in in that in that genre and um I, i don't i don't kid myself that i'm that i'm one of those those people who uh got good at doing that there's other there's there's other photographers who would you know but they but those photographers wouldn't see the big landscape that that would that would not be their deal they would you know they they would be they would be not looking for quote-unquote intimate landscapes but they would be letting other um you know uh, geometries affect them and and relationships with with uh, smaller places and smaller geometries um, affect them or, or, or light that was, that was, uh, you know, um, more evocative in those situations affect them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 you know, I'm just not, I'm not that, um, I, I mean, my gig is to be on top of a mountain with a gulf of air underneath me. Um, that's, that's who I am. And, and I don't, and I don't deny that, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not into turning myself into something I'm not. I can appreciate that. Well, you brought it up earlier. Um... Tell us a little bit about your your new book project uh, inside the High Sierra. Okay, well, um, I, 
I don't know if you, uh, so this is my four, fourth book. Uh, my, my first book was a guidebook to the 100 classic climbs in the High Sierra. And then I did um, the High Sierra Wilderness of Light in ni- 1995 with Chronicle Books. And that was followed by a vast and ancient wilderness, Images of the Great Basin, also by Chronicle Books. And then Yosemite once removed by the Yosemite Association. And um, um, so my newest book is Inside the High Sierra. And um, it is in the midst of getting the color um, proofs um, sent back to me after corrections. And um, the essays are, uh, there are, there are essays by uh, uh, Michael Cohen, my daughter, Laurel, Laurel Fiddler, um, uh, Peter Croft, um, the climber, and Dick Dorworth, the, the skier. And then I write um, 20,000 words of descriptions of the uh, circumstances around the photographs. And one of the absolute thrills of the book is, uh, for me, is Tom Hornbein from Everest, the West Ridge, um, wrote the foreword. Um, so um, that is due to come out in October. Um, it's been a very, in, it's 35 years of my photographs. Um, it's been very intense year and a half of work um, that's not over. So, um, but it's going to be a, a large format book, um, 10 by 12, linen bound, tipped in photograph on the cover. Um, and um, uh, of course, I, <laughs> I'll be really proud of it when I see it. I, I mean, I know have a P, well, you've seen the PDF. So anyway, um, um, that'll be out in October. And yeah, it, it's um, not only um, is it does it cover I think one man's or one person's um, longstanding relationship with a place, but I also um, was am trying to make a work of art. So it's printed on 200 GSM uh, uh, archival paper um, and uh, linen bound, all hardcover and only 1,000 copies. So gotcha. Um, how are you distributing it? Are you basically buying them all yourself and then you have to sell them? No, I pre-sold enough to um, cover oh, the cost nice. of the book. Awesome. And, um, and then um, uh, Wolverine Publishing is going to do the distributing and I'll do my, I, I will send out to uh, the marketing thing, which I have not um, done a, a very good job at yet, but uh, I'll have to, do that but i my last book the, the the high sierra wilderness of light sold out in six weeks so um, um so I, am i worried yes am i um overly concerned mm, i don't think so so cool yeah uh, what what motivated you to to do this book um it's sort of the I got down to where I had two photographs that I really want to make of the Sierra. And I said, I never may make those. They may never happen. Um, and so I said, okay, it's been 35 years. And um, I, I, I think the body of work is really mature. Um, there, there, there's no filler. Every, every image stands strongly on its own as an individual image. And um, so I said, yeah, it's time. That 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 feels that feels right. It 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 it's it, it it feels like I have a body of work that's worthy of 
the privilege I've had of being in this place. Yeah. I love that. Uh, it, it's very, it's an important place to me. And so the work has to be important. And, and I think I finally got there, but uh, that I do not take that lightly. I would not, if, if I was going, wow, I really need to get out this weekend and try and get that shot. Mm, that can't, can't be there. Got to Got to see the whole thing start to finish to absolute end of the acknowledgements period. This, this, this is a work of art. Awesome. Well, winding down, I'd love to hear, I mean, you've already dropped a lot of these names, but uh, who would you recommend our listeners know more about or, or that we, we have here on the show? Uh, okay. I'm going to start with um, a non-photographer, Caroline Van Hemmer, and she wrote, uh, The Sun is Also a Compass. Um, and uh, I think in, in, in terms of uh, commitment and, and um, being in the Brooks Range, Carolyn and I are trying to get together on my next book. And, um, and, and she's just um, a wonderful person and has a very interesting life going on in Alaska. Um, the other one is John Waterman, who's also one of my uh, inspirations from the Brooks Range. And he is an author uh, more than he is a photographer, but um, John's just a really interesting person from especially the American West um, um, and done some pretty cool adventures. And, and again, not a photographer, but can talk about writing and, and as can Caroline and, and that as an art form. Um, Steve Selensky um, in my book, um, I used to say Steve Selensky is the best photographer in the world. Um, Steve's seeing of the world is, is so unique and and um so ground but so grounded uh i don't know what what the hell i mean by that but anyways yeah and steve's just a wonderful person a master a master color printer um mm. uh the next next person is john warzenek who uh as i described before he printed elliot porter's die transfers along with his own john has two books out walking and walden pond uh, both published by the Nature Company way back when. He was the uh, premier dye transfer printer in the world, hands down. And he has the finest portfolio body of work from New England of anybody on the planet. Uh, images from vacant lots to the Blueberry Barrens to the Sudbury River. Um, hmm. one, of, one of the finest photographers easily <laughs> of the 20th century. John did this to me. He said, Claude, there are this many photographers. There are this many photographers using large format. And there are that many good ones. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, my, uh, my dear friend, Joe Holmes, who is a, an artistic and photographic genius. Um, for those in your audience who are not familiar with any of those photographers' works, shame on you. Um, those are the geniuses of our day um, and they're still around and they're still working. Um, they're yeah, I exchanged a few emails with, with, with Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting guy. Yes. Uh, you, you, you better have your intellectual game on. Right. Right. You, yeah, yeah, definitely. When you talk to, talk to Joe, he's on, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, awesome. isn't, he's the same guy that um, like makes his own color spaces and stuff. Right. 
Yeah, that, those are yeah. But the most amazing technological thing that Joe did was he built his own additive color head to make Cibachrome prints. Huh. Took him three years to build, and because he wanted to make the best Cibachromes in the world, and he did. So That's yeah, has some yep. dedication right there. <laughs> That's some dedication. <laughs> That's some dedication. Or you might say OCD, but what, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I got it. I got well, it. Well, awesome, Claude. This has been really fun and really appreciate yeah. your questions and engagement. And it was just a real treat to hear about your journey. Uh, Matt, it was a real treat to engage with you and um, um, keep going. I know it's hard. I mean, I, I, I know the work you're doing. It's, you're, it's commendable. And you're, you, yeah, you're our, you are uh, one tough cookie. Uh, yeah. that. T- teenage son. Yeah, buddy. I, yeah. Making a living. I know all about it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. For you. Well, thank you to Claude for the great conversation on the podcast. I encourage listeners to head over to my blog at mattpainphotography.com and look at the show notes for this week's episode where you'll find examples of Claude's excellent work, a link to his website, and links to the other photographers mentioned as well as other items discussed on today's show. I also want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon. You are all incredible. I especially want to recognize the following individuals who have contributed over $500 over the lifetime of their support on Patreon. Thank you to David Kingham, Gary Randall, Eric Stensland, Ken Dono, Jeff Peterson, Michael Rung, Anton Everine, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Joshua Wallace, Suzanne Mathia, and Frank Otto Peterson. You rock. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.